a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Huge milestone recently, Keith. Huge milestone recognised around the world, 50 years since man landed on the moon. Indeed. And it's been quite remarkable, the amount of celebration. And, of course, Australia was involved with helping some of the communications. What I find fascinating is that it's 51 years since the movie 2001 was made. So if you remember back to that time, there seemed to be a great deal of optimism about getting to the moon and then beyond it into outer space. What I find interesting is to look at how little progress has actually been made since that time. President Trump in the last couple of weeks has said that America will once again go to moon and and perhaps go on to Mars as well. Uh, It's interesting. The next people to be on the moon will probably be the Chinese, may even be the Indians. So we've now got a, a race in space that's underway. Can we just go back a step quickly, yeah. Keith? I, I just want to understand why it's been 50 years and nothing else has happened. What has happened at the time there was so much excitement about the fact we went on the moon, there's been so many expeditions into space ever since. Why has nothing else been done with the moon? Why haven't the Russians or the Chinese gotten there yet? Why has it been somewhat stagnant? It's been stagnant, I think, because... The, the air went out of the balloon, so to speak, you know, that we got there or the Americans got there and that was it. They beat the Russians, although the Russians were running actually a slightly different race and they ended up building the International Space Satellite, of course. So, you know, they, they were going into space, but from a different point of view. So the Russians really lost interest. The, certainly the Americans did. Remember, the Americans had all sorts of financial problems and the rest of it. So really, it was interesting. It, it was very exciting at the time, 50 years ago. And then suddenly people said, all right, we've done that. Let's go on to other issues. And so suddenly we've had, you've said, you're right, when you talk about other space activities going on, but they tend to be military activities. They're not civilian activities. So what I find fascinating is someone who's been following this since um, the 1967 uh, Outer Space Treaty is the amount of enthusiasm and idealism there was for the exploration of outer space, the way that it was designated as the common heritage of humankind, setting an example, by the way, for the internationalisation of the seabed. So back in the 60s and the 70s, there was tremendous enthusiasm, but then suddenly that, you know, the political drive just seemed to disappear. The Russians lost interest, the Americans certainly lost interest. Um, And so we've seen the military continuing with their research. It's, It's been estimated that... Of the uh, outer space activities, 80% of the money has gone for military activities. So putting the man on the moon represented part of that 20%. The bulk of money has gone into military machines. Now, what we're also seeing, of course, has been the rise of a whole new area of communications. Like, for example, if you used your credit card today, that will have gone through a satellite at some point. So we've got a whole civilian infrastructure which has been developed. So I find it fascinating as someone who's been involved in this now for over 50 years, looking back at that enthusiasm that we had, the idealism, the creation of the Outer Space Treaty, which is basically a treaty of aspiration. You know, it says that it's going to be for all countries. You, you cannot make a claim for yourself. The outer space is free for exploration, but it cannot be claimed uh, the moon, etc., can only be used for peaceful uses. You cannot have nuclear weapons or weapons of mass destruction put into outer space. 
Astronauts are to be regarded as the ambassadors of humankind. Very idealistic language. And it deals with issues of, of state liability for damage. So in other words, if a satellite falls out of outer space and hits us in central Sydney, we have the mechanism to sue the country concerned. And finally, no contamination. It's a really good document, that outer space treaty. It's given rise to a whole new branch of international law called space, uh, space law. But it's also over 50 years old. It's over 50 years old. And normally what you would have expected by this time is that that would be treated as almost as an umbrella treaty and you'd have a series of protocols or additional treaties that would cover other issues. Let's take the issue that there's a ban on contamination, right? You can't put rubbish into outer space. Unfortunately, we're running out of space in outer space. It is full of contaminated material. So a decade ago, for example, the Chinese demonstrated to the world that they've got anti-satellite technology because they smashed one of their own satellites which are scattered debris in outer space. So it means, therefore, if you're flying in and out through all of that debris, there's a real risk that you could be destroyed because all this debris moves around at high speed. You're moving at high speed. So, for example, there's an astronaut's glove out there somewhere. If that smacks into your machine, it'll cause you real damage. If you've ever seen bird strike on a on a plane, you know, where you see them down at the airport, you see birds who fly into planes, they can punch a hole because those aircraft are just basically flying beer cans. Well, in outer space, you're dealing again with very fragile technology and they can be damaged by all this debris which is floating around up oh, there. Oh, Keith, you know, there's been a bunch of movies. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there have been a bunch of movies over the last couple of decades in which depict this exact thing exactly. you're talking about. Yeah, like, like gravity. You know, ah, the wow. there <laughs> exactly. we are. Culture <laughs> reference, Keith. <laughs> still young at heart, you still got Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yes. That was a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. So for me, therefore, we're in this very interesting situation. 50 years on... 51 years on from the movie 2001, we're in the strange position that at one point very idealistic, very utopian, we thought we could internationalise space, and yet when you come to where we are at the moment, we're nowhere near where we thought we would be by this time. Remember the 2001 movie was premised on the idea that in fact we would be exploring outer space and all the rest of it. It was in fact we're limping a long way back from the vision of that Stanley Kubrick movie. But what were the benefits identified? I mean, I know it, this might be so obvious to some people, but what benefits were identified back then in terms of space exploration and what it would do for mankind and Earth? What did they want to gain from it? Well, the the reason for President Kennedy's speech was whereby he, in the early 60s he, he promised to put a man on the moon by 1970 bring him back. So they did that in July 69, so a little ahead of schedule. President Kennedy did it because the Russians have put Sputnik into outer space. And remember, you had a little dog going around and whatever. And so the Americans were really shocked by how much progress the Russians had made. Now, the Russians could do things like that because of the nature of their economy. So it meant that you had a shortage of toothpaste and toilet paper. But nothetheless, you know, we can put a man into moon uh, or at least to circle the earth, etc. It's like North Korea is the version today where they can spend exactly. all this money on all their weapons but yep. their people will die of starvation. Absolutely. <laughs> so that occurred towards the end of President Eisenhower's time in the White House. One of the uh, issues that President Kennedy, well, Senator Kennedy raised in the 1960 election is that America was falling behind in the space race, and clearly Sputnik demonstrated that. Um, and so he, as part of his campaign, the New Frontier, he was actually arguing that America has to go much more 
enthusiastically into outer space. So he was the one who whipped up all that enthusiasm and said, we're going to go to the moon by 1970. Nobody knew how they were going to do it at that time, I might say, and and yet they were able to achieve. It was a great, it was a great achievement. I think that what happened is when the Americans got there, there was just sort of a collective sigh of relief, <gasps> made it, you know, a bit like climbing a steep hill, and then they forgot all about it. They'd beaten the Russians, which was the name of the game, the Russians decided they had other issues to address. They they were no longer interested in, in running a race. And so suddenly everything just sort of evaporated. So as I say, we've continued with some research. What we, What is now I find interesting is the way in which people are beginning to realise there could be wealth out there on the moon, could be water on the moon, could be water on Mars. Now, the interesting thing is, if you've got a ban on contamination, how do you actually do all this mining or whatever without causing pollution? But So that's a separate issue, which shows, in fact, why the treaty needs to be modified, updated. The other thing which is interesting is that the treaty is very much concerned about regulating the behaviour of governments because in those days it was only governments that got into the business of space exploration. What we're now seeing, of course, has been the rise of transnational corporations. They are the ones, like Richard Branson of Virgin, He's already selling tickets for his intergalactic travel. So he not only runs Virgin Airlines, he's also now got Virgin Spacecraft. And so these are activities that are outside of the treaty because 50 years ago nobody imagined that you'd have corporations doing the exploration of outer space. So it means, therefore, that we've now got the the risk of privatisation of outer space travel. Therefore, you've, you've got to have regulations covering corporations and private activity. For me, it's a general issue of what I might call space governance. In other words, it's not just space law, it's a whole general issue about how you control activities in outer space. And things like tourism it needs to be regulated. So for me, it's, it's really fascinating. So the treaty bans claims being made by countries, but not by corporations. Could we end up with a corporation trying to ban, uh, sorry, trying to claim the moon? This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. In this episode, we're talking about the 50-year anniversary since landing on the moon, a momentous occasion for humanity. And it's been, again, 50 years and not a lot's happened. Keith, why suddenly the resurgence in interest? I mean, Donald Trump's been beating his chest about this since he got into power. He really wants to put money back into exploring space. Why now? Well, because he's worried the Chinese are going to get to the moon ahead of the Americans. Now, and remember the Chinese already broken the Outer Space Treaty once by putting contamination into space, by knocking out one of their own satellites to prove they've got anti-satellite technology. So they've created now a space command. So the Americans are intending to go back into space big time. And by the looks of it, he's, he's going to get the money out of Congress, which is what the National Aeronautical and Space Administration failed to do. You know, they didn't get the sort of budget which they should have required to keep going after 1969 for the journeys into outer space. So what I find fascinating is that we're moving away from a project with which I was associated at the time from Colonel Kurtz, Colonel Howard Kurtz, and uh, his late wife, the Reverend Harriet Kurtz. So this is a husband and wife team who talked about the peaceful uses of outer space, right? This is some of the idealism that we see in that outer space treaty. In other words, instead of going ahead into space with a view to trying to claim it, they argued that the international community should have a a network of satellites 
under international control that could monitor bushfires and all sorts of tragedies, arms control agreements, etc. So I was involved with that campaign. Uh, the, the real leader of the campaign after the death of Colonel Kurtz has been Dr Driscoll, an American political scientist. And so Colleen Driscoll created the Kurtz Institute to continue the work of Howard and Harriet Kurtz. So in other words, the idea was this is a guy who, who came out of the what was then called the US Army Air Force realised that there was a real potential in using satellites for peaceful purposes, so suggested that there be this international system, an international satellite monitoring agency. France took up the proposal at the United Nations. The French at that time were leading the Americans in terms of satellite technology. And so they thought that their Ariane technology would could be sold worldwide. So the, Ameri- the French saw this money be made out of this peaceful uses of space technology. My connection with Colonel Kurtz, whom I used to visit when I visited the United States, um, also led me into contact with Arthur C. Clarke. Now, Arthur C. Clarke, we're back to 2001. Arthur C. Clarke was one of the authors of the movie with Stanley Kubrick, who, who made the movie. So Arthur C. Clarke, a British writer who lived much of his life in Sri Lanka, he very early on saw the value of satellite communications well ahead of most other people right after World War II. He realised that given the breakthroughs that we'd had in World War II, we could actually develop satellites for peaceful purposes, for communication, which you and I take for granted, right? This program is going out through the network of satellites that Arthur C. Clarke envisaged 70-odd years ago. So... Through the Kurtz, I got into communication with Arthur C. Clarke, who gained a very idealistic in his views about what could be done without a space. So I find it fascinating that on the one hand, we have this series of idealists, the pioneers like um, Arthur C. Clarke, Colonel and the Reverend uh, Harriet Kurtz, and then, of course, now um, Dr. Colleen Driscoll on the one hand. And on the other hand, we have other people saying, no, let's get into outer space It's the next frontier in terms of military purposes. We need a space command. We've got to be ready to deal with the Chinese and then the Indians. I find it fascinating, by the way, the Indians are big in in space exploration and they can't even feed their own people. See, this is what kills me, Keith. The world is still pretty, almost in recession. You know, there's a world trade war going on. How do people have money to spend on space travel when we're in not the greatest state at the moment? Well, that's a case of political will. And so the politicians simply decide we will fund A and we will not fund B. It's really as simple as that. And and that's, of course, part of the reasoning why the Americans didn't follow through with putting a man on the moon in 1969. You know, that program over the years just lapsed and faded away precisely because people said we've got to fund other projects. What Trump is trying to do is to revamp that enthusiasm, but this time saying instead of just planting a flag on the moon, we're going to leave our footprints, we're going to leave our fingerprints. People will know that we've been around. So you've got now a different sort of mentality. And, of course, okay, Russia fell into chaos later on because of the uh, the end of the Cold War and all the rest of it. But China is now obviously in a space race with the Americans. So who's going to get back to the moon first? Remember, this is very different from what the Kurtz family had argued. Kurtz and Arthur C. Clarke had said, let's make it an international effort. Let's bring people together. Let's do it together. Oh, let's do it together. Makes sense. And, and this, um, by the looks of it, we've still got that thinking in the Outer Space Treaty. We still come across it with some scientists. Uh, there is a commonwealth of scientists 
But at the same time, you've got politicians who are thinking in very nationalistic terms who want to plant their flags on the moon and make claims, etc. I know. It doesn't make any sense, go because, Keith, let's think hypothetically there is extraterrestrial activity out there. It's us versus them. It's, it's us <laughs> as a collective. That's right. You know? There's yeah. no individualism in that. Well, I think if they're looking for intelligent life in outer space, those aliens wouldn't stop very long on Earth. <laughs> Currently not in the political situation we find ourselves exactly. internationally. <laughs> and just very quickly before we go, are the Russians still interested in space or not really? Oh, yes, they are, but they obviously don't have quite so much money and they don't have the same incentive. But, oh, yes, there are players. Never Australia now has a space agency. So we're seeing there's going to be money to be made. If you can grab hold of one of those asteroids as they're bouncing around, they're full of gold and silver and other minerals. So we could end up with a mineral race in outer space. Keith, always a pleasure. Thank you. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 